Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome back to the Space News Pod, the daily podcast for space, science and technology news. I'm your host, Will. And did you know that Israel's Lunar Crafts landing site has finally been revealed? And I'll have a lot more about that in a minute. But first, I want to say thank you to everybody who's been supporting the podcast. And the best way to support the pod is to just listen to it. That's it. Subscribe to it. Listen to it. Tell your friends. Actually, you know what really helps is giving a star review on iTunes and also writing a review on iTunes. Those things are super helpful. So if you like this episode or if you liked episodes in the past, make sure to let everyone know about it because that's going to help us get higher and higher up in the ranks. And anyone who's done that, thank you so much. And you can go to patreon.com slash space news podcast if you want to help out monetarily. Now, let's get back to Israel's lunar craft. So this spacecraft has been orbiting the Earth on its way to the moon. And just recently, the Space IL magnetometer, the SILMAG, which is the main scientific instrument on board this thing, has been successfully activated in space and data is now coming back to Earth. So when a spacecraft is on its way somewhere, so if it's going around the Earth right now, it's orbiting the Earth, and it's ready to head to the moon, they have to do a lot of tests in order to make sure that all the instruments on board it work properly. Uh, So this professor at the Wiseman Institute of Science, which is heading the team that is analyzing the SILMAG information to evaluate the health and accuracy of the instrument while it's in space orbiting Earth. And it's also going to be recording the magnetic signature of the spacecraft itself which will then be subtracted for the measurements that are made on the moon to get us proper data. And measuring the magnetism of lunar rocks will enable researchers to address the outstanding questions about the moon, how it got its magnetic field, and when did it occur? Like, when did this thing happen? And they've also chosen a site on the moon, on the lunar surface, located in the northeastern part of the Sea of Serenity, which is a few hundreds of kilometers east of the Apollo 15 landing site. And it's about the same distance northwest of the Apollo 17 site. And they have three optional landing sites, a primary site and two backup sites that have been identified recently. And those are in the books now. So they have an absolute plan of where to land this lunar lander. And the selection of these areas, well, they were focused on ensuring a safe landing and they searched for site with relatively few craters 
not a lot of exposed rocks or deep slopes. So what they basically want is a flat plain. They don't want anything in the way. They don't want any rocks. They don't want any debris. They don't want anything like that. They just want to be able to land this thing very gracefully and very easily on the moon. But not only that, in addition, the scientists search for a location on the moon where the crust is actually magnetic, which will allow the instruments on board the spacecraft to carry out its primary investigations. And lunar magnetism has been an enigma for decades. So this craft is part of the pieces of puzzles, right? That's going to be helping move forwards to solving that enigma. So check this out. The landing site was selected uh, with Professor Jim Head, who's a Brown University, who's a member of the Space IL team, who has also worked with the NASA Apollo program on the landing site selection, among other things with this program. So the Apollo program, that's what sent initial NASA astronauts to the moon. So currently, this spacecraft is orbiting the Earth and it's performing maneuvers in preparation to get to lunar orbit. And then it'll insert itself in early April, followed by the planned landing at the chosen site on April 11th. And when all this happens, stay tuned. I'll have all the information you'll need on the day that this thing lands. And you can keep up to date right here on Space News Pod. Now, give me a moment. I'm going to take a pause for the cause, going to chill out and pay some bills. So I'll be right back with some more cool space news. So going from the moon to the outer depths of the universe, astronomers have discovered 83 supermassive black holes at the edge of the observable universe. Our universe is full of supermassive black holes. That's not normal black holes. These things have masses that are billions of times that of our sun. And they have huge gravitational effects. So you often find black holes, massive, supermassive black holes, hiding out at the center of galaxies. So they're in the middle of these galaxies, orbited by billions and billions of stars and planets around those stars. But to find them in the distant part of our observable universe, you need to study the light of accreting gases that swirl around them. And because we can't see them, like you can't visually see a black hole, but we can see the light. And the light that we see, well, it comes from quasars. So if you're looking at a telescope, they look like kind of normal stars, but they're extremely bright. And scientists believe that their light comes from the gases that are going and falling towards the gravity, the massive gravity of a black hole. Scientists used the Subaru telescope in Hawaii for five years. And after identifying 83 potential candidates, that team that used the Subaru telescope, uh, they used a suite of international telescopes to confirm their findings. So it's not just one telescope, not just one team, but they got it from all over the place. They pointed all these other telescopes at the same spots to make sure that everything was right. And the quasars that they used in these studies well, they're from a very early universe, 13 billion light years away. That's 13 billion light years away. Wrap your head around that. That's huge. And that means that the researchers are looking into the past at objects from less than a billion years after the Big Bang. Michael Strauss, who is the co-author of the paper, said it is remarkable that such massive, dense objects were able to form so soon after the Big Bang. And these scientists, well, they're not quite sure how these black holes formed in the very early stages of the universe. So the Subaru telescope that they used, they had a special instrument 
attached to it. It's called the HSC, the Hyper Supreme Cam. And why this instrument is so instrumental, well, instrumental instrument, to this study is because it has seven times the area of the full moon. It's 1.77 degrees squared on one of the largest telescopes in the world. And the HSC team is carrying a survey of the sky using 300 nights of telescope time, which is over five years, like I stated earlier. So 300 nights of telescope time, five years, and they selected distant quasar candidates for the sensitive HSC survey. And how did these things form? Well, it's accepted that the hydrogen in the universe was once neutral, but was reionized. Well, that means it split into its component protons and electrons around the epoch when the first generation of stars, galaxies, and supermassive black holes were born. And in the first few hundred million years after the Big Bang, that's when all this stuff happened. And scientists have a hypothesis that there were many more quasars in the early universe than detected previously, and it is their integrated radiation that reionized the universe. But this study? Well, it says otherwise, and that the number of quasars seen is significantly less than needed to explain the reionization. So this reionization? Well, it was caused by another energy source, most likely numerous galaxies that started to form in our ancient young universe. The research team consisted of 48 astronomers from around the world, and they'll continue researching when new telescopes are developed and new techniques and new technologies are developed as well. So that's it for today's episode, everyone. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen and learn. That's really great. I'm, I'm super happy that you're here. So if you have any questions, hit me up on Twitter. It's uh, twitter.com slash space news pod. Make sure to tune in every single day. Hit that subscribe button, leave a review and also write a review, write a positive review if you like this stuff. I think it's really important and it pushes us up the ranks of the technology uh, subcategory. And that's going to help us out in the long run to get more listeners and therefore, I can put out more episodes and better and or longer episodes in the future. So thank you so much for all of your support. I really do appreciate it. And from the Space News Pod, everybody, my name is Will, and I will see you soon. Space News Pod.